0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Idleman Unplugged. This episode features Pastor Shane reading chapter one of his book If My People. We hope that you enjoy this segment of Idleman Unplugged. Okay, here we go. Chapter 1 of the book If My People. And obviously it's coming from Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, I will heal their land. I want to begin with a quote from Nancy uh, Lee DeMoss Wagamuth. Now she's been married. Revival is not just an emotional touch. It's a complete takeover. Praise God. I couldn't agree more. So chapter one, humility, 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 the first step toward revival. And I recently had the privilege of speaking to our church um, about this topic of revival with you know, 2 Chronicles 7.14 as the backdrop. And the sacred text says, if my people, so not Hollywood or Washington or the media or non-believers, but if my people will turn to me, uh, God will hear from heaven. Now, again, I clarified this before, but it, it, it's good to repeat. Uh, the context of that scripture is for Israel. And the word was to Solomon, when I bring pestilence, when I bring famine, when I bring drought, if my people humble themselves. But in my opinion, that principle still applies. If God's people do these things, he will answer. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to have a utopia in America. We'll be exposing evil and fighting against wickedness from here on out. Uh, but it does mean that we're going to start to see light in a lot of areas of darkness and and pray that God would give us a measure of revival, even in our bondage right now. It's no surprise that we are witnessing the rapid deterioration of a nation right before our eyes. As a result, many are struggling with fear and anxiety and uncertainty, yet God offers hope, tremendous hope. I can already hear the cries though, uh, or the critics. Um, Shane, yes, you know, there is hope and Yes, um, that was applied to Israel, but uh, I I don't know if we can use that same verse uh, today. And, and, you know, they get caught up on um, revelation, you know, it's coming and and the wrath is coming and these things are are going to take us over. And how is there hope in that? You know, but again, for those of us who are trusting in God, there's always hope, uh, no matter how dark, how dark the times get. And so, um, I think we should focus on hope, focus on God, focus on, uh, what he's able to do, persevering, pressing in, spending time with him. And, um, let's see what God does. And so let's take a, a look at this first important principle found in 2nd Chronicles seven fourteen humility, humility, uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, I think many of you will remember, you know, the safer at home order went out and, um, during that time god powerfully uh and profoundly poured out his spirit into my heart uh, it was even though i was preaching to a camera uh, we 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 closed just like many people there for a short time and then obviously we re, we reopened but um during that time um during that season of of god humbling our nation you know it it, it just is so important that we embrace humility and we saw the civil unrest the protest and we had to re- realize that our only hope is in God. And uh, one of those during one of those sermons, I looked at the key statement found in Isaiah 58, and God told his people that he was done with phony sacrifice and hard-hearted obedience. He said that things had to change if they wanted to make their voice heard on high. And I've talked about this before, you know, even on the right side of the political aisle, or even on the conservative side of the movement, there's so much pride. There's positioning, there's posturing, there a uh, 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 ploys for power, but where's the humility? And the boldness to seek God like never before and to be broken before Him. And just like Israel back then, things need to change in America if we want God to truly hear our prayers. While we have been too full of pride, complacency, and apathy to experience revival... And let me say that again, while we have been too full of pride, complacency, and apathy to experience revival, the current national crisis that we find ourselves in can actually be the catalyst to revival. If it it humbles us, that's the key. If it humbles us and we become better, not bitter, we become become humble, not haughty, that's when we'll definitely see a big difference. And revival is not about scheduling a series of meetings, although that could be good and it's not about weird and being loud and and you know thumping the bible and and talking the christianese revival can't be worked up it has to be brought down from heaven and god honors humility and revival brings back you know just a, just a holy awe for the presence and power of god Revival is when God's power meets God's people. Let me say that again. Revival is when God's power meets God's people. When we experience the fire of God and are forever changed, that is revival. So that's personal revival. It's a spiritual awakening. And then that fire on fire for God that goes out and it catches fire in the lives and hearts of others. And that's why the enemy wants to extinguish it so much. He wants to get a, a, a Christian, um, he wants to give a Christian his a certificate of non operation, just like the DMV wants us to sit at home and grumble and complain. Eat too much, drink too much, just become critical, not say a powerful move of God, go to church when it fits, kind of read our Bible, but everything is boring. We are dead to the things of God. You need spiritual resuscitation, hence the need for this book, If My People. And um, God's fire in this sense— It it burns, but it does not consume. It refines, but it does not destroy for the life of the believer. God's fire in the life of the believer is very good. Uh, Fire in regard to judgment and unbelief is not good. But fire for the believer is good because it says God is a consuming fire. The Holy Spirit brings fire. John the Baptist preached fire. The prophets preached fire. Jesus said that he who believes in him would receive fire. Fire. Actually, John the Baptist said, if you believe on him, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So revival fire is the urgent need today. In the first step, the very first step, you have to humble yourself and say, I need that. God, I need that. Blessed are the beggars. Blessed are the beggars for God will fill them with his spirit. Next section here, dead in the church of the living God. Are you dead in the church of the living God? Although revival can't be generated in and of itself. And that's where people, uh, a rabbit trail here. Remember this uh, audiobook is going to take lots of rabbit trails. But, you know, you have like Finney caught a lot of heat because he his lectures on revival. Um, basically, and I don't agree with everything he wrote for sure. But, you know, revival is possible, you know, whenever. Um, and the reason he said that is because If you, if like a farmer, if you till the soil and plant the seed, God will honor that and bring revival. And there's a lot of truth to that. But on the flip side, God's sovereignty also plays a role. God is sovereign and maybe the timing is not right. So I can't fully embrace that. I just know we're supposed to press in. I know D. Martin Lloyd-Jones prayed for revival in his time. And I'm talking about a massive, you know, Welsh, type revival, First Great Awakening type of revival, New Hebrids type of revival, a type of revival under men like Daniel Rowlands, uh, Griffin Jones, Hal Harris, uh, and Wells in the 1700s. You know, those types of powerful moves of God. And we see a lot of those in China. And um, it's, it's just amazing. And uh, Tozer prayed to see those things. Leonard Ravenhill prayed to see those things. Adrian Rogers. And so you know, we we, we we have measures of revival, but the, the, uh, a genuine outpouring of God's spirit we really haven't seen in America in quite a while. I'd say, you know, at least, um, you know, there's been, I mean, there's been, there's exceptions like uh, that college, I can't think of the college, As, Asbury College experience, you know, a, a season of revival and uh, Jeremiah Lampert in New York, you know, the prayer meetings, but that I believe was like the 1800s. You know, a good hundred years or so, we haven't seen a powerful move of God. And Leonard Ravenhill, in his compelling book, Revival Praying, said this, since something is obviously stopping the Spirit's inflow. I love this, guys. Stop what you're doing. Listen to this. Push pause if you have to wait. But listen to this. This is is a turning point sentence in the lives of many of you. Since something is obviously stopping the Spirit's inflow to us Christians, the same thing is stopping his outflow from us. With the Spirit's help, we need to search for the hindrance. Something, if you're dead to the things of God, if you're not on fire anymore, have you when is the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? That's a really good sign, you know, spiritual health. Not going door to door because you have to, but I mean on fire for God and the things of God. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you got before him and just worshiped him for an hour or two and praying and, and seeking the heart of God and fasting? And, and, and you know, if, these, if you're dead to these things um, and something is stopping uh, the Spirit's inflow, then you need to search your heart and remove that hindrance. And often the hindrance is pride. And spiritual apathy. And I believe that's why 2 Chronicles opens with humility. It truly is the first step. The greatest need in the lives of Christians today is to remove pride so that the power of the Holy Spirit can flow through us. Always remember that you, always remember this, that you are as revived as you want to be. Wow. Did you catch that? You are revived. You are as revived as you want to be. But be warned, those on fire for God often convict those who are not. And so we think, man, I've got the fire of God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call a prayer meeting and, and teach on fasting and teach on being desperate for God and removing the hindrances and not loving the world. And man, everybody's going to like my message. No, not true at all. I, I have found just the opposite. Now, it's one of the things I think that alarmed me most about planning a church is not everyone shares my passion for God. You know, I, I run into people all the time. Oh, Shane, I love Westside Christian Fellowship. Uh, my husband doesn't want to come though. You know, he thinks you're too, too strong, too, um, too bold, too like, like too extreme. Like, well, we have extreme makeovers, extreme love for sports, extreme snowboarding, extreme mountain bikes, extreme whatever. Shouldn't we have extreme passion for God? Of course we should. Or you meet husbands. You know, they, oh, my wife doesn't come. You know, she, you're, just, you're just too much for her right now. You know, she's, she's loving the things of the world right now. And so, wow, I was like, okay, I guess most Christians don't like, um, they, if you're not on fire for God, you're not going to like those who are on fire for God because they convict you. And then pride comes in like, oh, they think they're special. They think they're a holy roller. They think they're Superman Christian or whatever. And and they become bitter about, at that. But it doesn't matter. Don't let that deter you. At some point, hopefully God will draw them. Um, A mighty move of God's spirit always, always, always creates friction in the church. Carnal Christians and modern day Pharisees will disdain you because they lack intimacy with God. Their statements go something like this. Let's not get too carried away, brother. Or you're too emotional. Why are you worshiping all the time and and calling people to the altar? That's too emotional. What's all this talk about revival? You know, God doesn't do that anymore. Convicted, convicted, convicted. That's what's happening to them. They don't have that deep relationship with the Lord, so they're very convicted. Trust me, friends. God is not pleased with carnality or churches that resemble a cemetery. Cemeteries may be calm and orderly, but there is no life in them. How can we be dead spiritually in the church of the living God? Now, granted, the cemetery is not a good environment and neither is a circus. You know, if it's odd, it's God, everything goes. No, that's not good either. We've got to have balance and discernment and truth and and a a solid concrete foundation of biblical truth. Now, granted, even though revival by its very nature produces emotional excitement, we must be careful. Uh, Ian Murray warns us to be open but cautious when it comes to emotions. Uh, The course of a revival, the course of a revival, I'm going to quote him here, together with with its purity and abiding fruit, is directly related to the manner in which such excitement is handled by its leaders. Once the idea gains acceptance, that the degree of the Spirit's work is to be measured by the strength of emotion or that physical effects of any kind are proof of God's action, then what is rightly called fanaticism is bound to follow. And see, his point is, is so spot on. This is why it's so important for leaders of churches. So once you, as leaders, that you're, you're called to steward the environment of revival, once you sit back and say, you know what, man, uh, I, I I don't want to say anything. You know, if it's odd, it's God and let 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 whatever happen. You know, and of course, you don't want to quench and grieve the spirit. And, you know, but I think if you're open to revival, you're going to be open to what God is doing. But discerning, Lord, is that you? Or is that my, am, am I just afraid? I don't want to be misrepresented, it, re, misrepresented by what's going on here. Um, Lord, help me discern. So if you just allow whatever. Whatever is going to take place. If you just allow chaos and confusion, that's what's going to take place. And I think that's what, you know, you'll find in some of, um, you know, and again, I I didn't read a lot of these. I don't follow them, but like the Toronto blessing, you know, you see a lot of just, um, I think, I think, was it Toronto? No, don't quote me on this, but I think John Wimber went up there and had a falling out with uh, them because he called them to more uh, discernment. And same thing. What I saw, uh, probably I don't know when this was. I'd have to Google it. The Lakeland revival in Florida. A uh, v- lot of very concerning things that I saw. And it was because of this point. Hey, whatever goes on goes on. And then we we see those in leadership in that revival. It came out later. It's just terrible. And that and so. But could God genuinely be moving? Um, and so I'm not going to talk about it here. But find my podcast. Uh, I believe the title is, When False Prophets Say, Lord, Lord. And I broke down Matthew 7, specifically verses 21, 22 in there. And why sometimes you'll see moves of God even in the midst of heretical or bad teaching. How does that even happen? Uh, So find that probably on Rumble by the time you're listening to this. Um, But suffice it to say, God may honor the desperate heart of someone seeking truth, even in the midst of a false a false prophetic voice who's claiming God's truth, but really not living it. Uh, they practice lawlessness. They're not even saved. And that's how somebody could benefit still from that ministry. But again, I broke it down in that podcast. I would encourage you to really look at that now. But back to this point, if you just allow emotions to dictate the service, it's going to get more chaotic. However, and we've, I've had experiences before, you don't want to be the emotional police and like every whimper uh, at the altar, every outburst, you know, no, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I mean, somebody who speaks in tongues, it's out of order. Do you reprimand them right there and be forceful, and or do you do you come up, you know, a little bit later and correct maybe what happened, understanding that person has a gracious, loving heart, but it was maybe out of order because there's no interpretation or it didn't flow well, and that's why we kind of, uh, not kind of, but we don't encourage that in large corporate settings because we 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 can't gauge that we sometimes don't know the person is there interpretation there uh and and you have to be very careful in this area and it's a hard balance to find i'll tell you that i've not mastered this this balance of finding uh between emotion and truth and and things like that so he he's, he he closes here for those who embrace such beliefs will suppose that that any check on the emotion or on physical phenomenon is tantam- tantamount to opposing the Holy Spirit, and this is so true. When you call people out, they say, "Oh, brother, you're just quenching the Holy Spirit." No, I'm calling you out because I think you're quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit, and you this so. That's how a lot of these guys get out of it. Oh man, you're just now, but there are some cases where you are quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. For example, when we have, uh, it's called rend the heavens. We have, you know, services can sometimes go for three hours. People at the altar, you know, dozens of people at the altar and, and, uh, you know, people are emotional sometimes. And, um, I would say somebody's trying to stop that is quenching and grieving the Spirit. So, you know, it, again, it, de- it depends on discernment. It depends on the character of the of the of those leading uh, the, the service. And there's just so much at play here. Uh, but also some will be jealous. Some will be jealous when they see you experiencing God and they are not. And I believe this is the backbone of the cessationist movement. And you see a lot of these heresy hunters out there uh, putting down those who believe in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think at the... At the core of this, not only do they see weirdness and they like, I, I can't embrace that weirdness. Well, let me know. Let me, let me tell you up front, I can't either. I, as I'm just looking at the biblical text. The biblical text is pretty clear. The First Corinthians 12, 13, 14 all apply today. And so, but to what does happen? They are jealous. This person, let's say, is is has this incredible prayer life. Maybe they've been given the gift of tongues, and and they seek God like never before. They're on fire for God. How can they spend a couple of hours at the altar weeping? Man, I can't relate to that. I'm jealous, so I'm gonna put it down. And you know that is, I'm just telling you, I know the heart of a lot of these people: uh, critical hearts, critical spirits, prideful hearts. Um, that's that's really what's behind a lot of this. Is they. They, they try, but they don't feel these things. You know, again, the word feel, uh, and, you know, I think we should feel God in, in in many aspects. We don't gauge truth by feeling, but we should, you know, there's, when you love God, you, you're going to feel it from time to time. Uh, not all the time though, of course. Um, so they often fall under the hard hearted church mentioned in these people that, you know, want to quench and grieve the spirit and um, deny that God is moving powerfully. They, have to be careful because they could fall under the heading of Revelation uh, chapter two verses one through seven. Hard hearts, uh, where Jesus pointed out the hard hearts. They can easily point out false doctrine. Uh, they can work hard in ministry, and they obey God in you know certain areas. But God still calls them to repent for what lies beneath the service. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. So see, you can do these things with a rigid, angry, arrogant heart. Look at me. I'm a worker. Okay. But you're not a worshiper. You need to get back to that, that brokenness for Christ, that contrite spirit, loving, Lord, I love you. I'm I'm sorry. I repent. Let let me be a gracious, loving person. I will still contend for truth very boldly, but I will also uh, be be filled with your, your spirit. Lord, I need that love to return. Oh, and you repent, Lord, I'm sorry. I've grown hard and critical. I've done this a few times in the last 22 years. God, please fill me again with your spirit. I want to return to your love and your grace and your mercy. And the the, the Holy Spirit just comes in and floods your heart with just this brokenness. It's incredible. And if this church did not repent, God was going to judge them. It's just amazing. So be careful. And I often talk about when I was a modern day you know, Pharisee with the stony heart. I didn't care about love. I I, I cared about being right. I, I love to argue. A lot of these people like to argue because they like to prove that they're right. They like to shut people down. It's arrogant, 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 arrogant. Uh, I would say that I was standing for the truth, but it was really to cover my spiritual pride. You know, yes, the truth will offend others, but our attitude should not offend them. Phariseeutical Christians have the truth but they lack the fruit of the spirit. So these hard-hearted believers, and 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 we can all fall into this trap, many of us. Some can fall the other way, where they become very um know, lukewarm or apathetic or, you know, just love everybody, man. Let's just love them. I'm not gonna judge them. I'm not gonna call anything out. I'm not gonna speak about truth, man. Just love. No, you're drifting in the other direction. <clears throat> where, where what I'm talking about now is those who are. Not filled with joy and gentleness and love they're filled with arrogance and spiritual pride is deadly and once I experienced a mighty move of god 's spirit in my heart, personal revival again through humbling myself, I felt like the blind man who was who was grilled by the arrogant religious leaders today their grilling would go something like this: what exactly did Jesus do to you? We want a theological you know, exposition of what happened in a biblically accurate, conservative, hermeneutic approach to the technique he used. And all those things are good in the right context if the heart is right. And see, that's the key. Like the blind man, I don't know exactly how God does it. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I've tasted and I've seen the goodness of God. I didn't want God's presence. I didn't want God's presence when I was in my younger years. But today I'm a lover of his presence, thank God for it. I didn't like deep worship, but now it's the heartbeat of my soul. And I plead with you as well, don't be dead in the church of the living God. But let's take the first step here. As I stated earlier, you are revived. You are as revived as you want to be. If this upsets you, simply repent of your calloused heart and do not hide behind the excuse but I have the truth, but I have the truth. Yeah, you know what? So did the Pharisees. (laughs) And look how that turned out. You have to have the truth with love and brokenness and gentleness and humility. Revival doesn't minimize the truth. Actually, it elevates the truth. The truth of God's word, the truth of sound doctrine, the truth of humility and brokenness, a contrite heart. God says, I will not throw away. I will not despise a broken, contrite heart. I will revive the heart of the humble. I will revive and repair those who are broken. And as I read the journals of George Whitfield, and I, I read the eyewitness accounts of the Welsh Revivals and the First Great Awakening, uh, I found that the words of Jonathan Edwards were so, so true, and they're true today as well. He observed that a work, a genuine work of the Holy Spirit would be evident because it would, number one, elevate the truth, number two, it would exalt Christ, number three, it would pose Satan. Number four, it would point people to the scripture. And number five, 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 it would result in love for God and others. So the focus was on preaching the totality of God's word, calling out sin and correcting error. Holiness, not hysteria, is evident in a genuine revival. The result is genuine fruit, not, not, not ungodly fanaticism. So do you lack this fire of God? do you what do you do when you're physically cold well you run to the fire to the warmth in the same way if you lack the fire of God you must run to to him in brokenness and humility you must be desperate for another move of his spirit and a deep desire to counter encounter his presence you might say Lord I don't want what these these weird people look like on YouTube. I don't want what these weird videos, you know, uh, demonstrate and revive. I, I I, just want you. I want your holy presence. I want to encounter you and that you can trust my friends, because God will never let you down. Repentance is always the first step toward revival. Revival is a downpour and repentance opens the floodgates. And I said, as I said this earlier, revival is like farming. The farmer can't make the seed grow but he can create an environment for growth. We must be careful with absolute statements like fasting will always lead to revival because you know, it will not if our hearts are not right. Um, if I do this, it will always lead to revival. Not necessarily. God could be teaching us. Um, there could be a delay according to God's sovereignty. And we can't always just use second Chronicles seven fourteen as a magic recipe. We just have to, we just have to carefully follow God and see what he wants to produce. However, any group of people who humbles himself via fasting and prayer, and and they fervently seek God and they turn from their sin—I mean, you will get God's attention. Uh, if Second Chronicles is not sufficient to encourage you in this in this area, consider God's promise in Jeremiah when he says, "And you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart." Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. When you search for me with all of your heart. That's why fasting was so important in the early church, even in the Bible, uh, even during seasons of revival, because fasting is, it's it's another aspect of genuinely seeking God. I'm saying, you know what? King's stomach wants to be fed. King's stomach wants this. King's stomach wants this, but I'll still pray. I'll still contend. I'll still read the word of God, which is good. You know, fasting doesn't bend God's arm. Fasting doesn't make God love me more, but I sure love him more. And, but it's saying, Lord, I'm giving up this appetite for a greater appetite. All of my heart, all of my strength, all of my soul. And so fasting and prayer combined with repentance, it, it's just powerful. Um, the process of revival and hope must begin with humility. Andrew Murray said this, Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Let me say that again. Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. The amount of pride in the church is astonishing. We've created an American idol mentality with many wanting center stage attention. So if you're listening to this and you're involved in leadership... Are you wanting the center stage attention? If I could just be the main worship leader, if I could just be on that stage, if I could just have my blog number one, if I could just do this, be very, very careful. Let God promote you as you humble yourself. That really is the key. And we often look more like Hollywood than the character of Christ. James four six says this, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Memorize that verse, Please. God resists the proud. Yes, even the proud Christian. He's not on your side in your endeavors in certain areas. He's on your side as far as he's your God, but he will resist your endeavors, but he will give you grace if you humble yourself. If you are being if you are being humble today, don't fight it. If this article here that you're reading or listening to, or this book that you're listening to, or this podcast you're watching, if it's hard, kind of hard to hear. Don't run from it. Embrace God's humbling uh, humbling mechanism. Uh, God disciplines those He loves. We know that. And if we are to see a genuine move of God's Spirit, by the way, which is our only hope for our nation, then we must humble ourselves and confess our pride. Our blessings have become a curse. Our abundance has taken us away from God. Pride is so powerful that many people reading this will get upset or many people listening to me right now on this audio will get upset rather than humble themselves and seek God afresh. The choice is yours, really. I have not mastered this area, though. Be encouraged. I'm a prideful person working on humility for the rest of my life. But we must recognize our own pride, repent of it, and return to God with a broken and teachable attitude. That really is our own hope for this area of pride is uh, deep repentance and let God have his way in your heart and in your life. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Idleman Unplugged, be sure to send us your ideas and topics for future episodes of the podcast. You can send us an email at WestsideChristianfellowship.org or com. Thank you for listening to us today, and join us again on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Idleman Unplug. For more information, visit us at shaneilman.com. Again, that's a Edify Podcast Network.